0: the old curiosity shop chapter twenty three this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by brad Phillipone the old curiosity shop by charles dickens chapter twenty three Mr. Richard Swiveller, wending homeward from the wilderness, for such was the appropriate name of Quilp's choice retreat, after a sinuous and corkscrew fashion, with many checks and stumbles, after stopping suddenly and staring about him, then as suddenly running forward for a few paces, and as suddenly halting again and shaking his head, doing everything with a jerk and nothing by premeditation, Mr. Richard Swiveller, wending his way homeward after this fashion which is considered by evil-minded men to be symbolical of intoxication and is not held by such persons to denote that state of deep wisdom and reflection in which the actor knows himself to be began to think that possibly he had misplaced his confidence, and that the dwarf might not be precisely the sort of person to whom to entrust a secret of such delicacy and importance. And being led and tempted on, by this remorseful thought, into a condition which the evil-minded class before referred to, would term the maudlin state or stage of drunkenness, it occurred to Mr. Swiveller to cast his hat upon the ground, and moan, crying aloud, that he was an unhappy or orphan, and that if he had not been an unhappy orphan, things had never come to this. "'Left an infant by my parents at an early age,' said Mr. Swiveller, bewailing his hard lot, "'cast upon the world in my tenderest period, and thrown upon the mercies of a deluding dwarf who can wonder at my weakness. Here's a miserable orphan for you here,' said Mr. Swiveller, raising his voice to a high pitch, and looking sleepily round, "'is a miserable orphan.' then said somebody hard by let me be a father to you mr swiveller swayed himself to and fro to preserve his balance and looking into a kind of haze which seemed to surround him at last perceived two eyes dimly twinkling through the mist which he observed after a short time were in the neighbourhood of a nose and mouth casting his eyes down towards that quarter in which with reference to a man's face his legs are usually to be found He observed that the face had a body attached, and when he looked more intently, he was satisfied that the person was Mr. Quilp, who had indeed been in his company all the time, but whom he had some vague idea of having left a mile or two behind. "'You have deceived an orphan, sir,' said Mr. Swiveller, solemnly. "'I, I'm a second father to you,' replied Quilp you my father sir retorted dick being all right myself sir i request to be left alone instantly sir what a funny fellow you are cried quilp go sir returned dick leaning against a post and waving his hand go deceiver go some day sir perhaps you'll waken from pleasure's dream to know the grief of orphans forsaken will you go sir the dwarf taking no heed of this adjuration mr swiveller advanced with the view of inflicting upon him condign chastisement but forgetting his purpose or changing his mind before he came close to him he seized his hand and vowed eternal friendship declaring with an agreeable frankness that from that time forth they were brothers in everything but personal appearance then he told his secret over again with the addition of being pathetic on the subject of miss wackles who he gave mr quip to understand was the occasion of any slight incoherency he might observe in his speech at that moment which was attributable solely to the strength of his affection and not to rosy wine or other fermented liquor and then they went on arm in arm very lovingly together "'I'm as sharp,' said Quilp to him, at parting, "'as sharp as a ferret, and as cunning as a weasel. "'You bring Trent to me, assure him that I'm his friend, "'though I fear he a little distrusts me. "'I don't know why. I've not deserved it. "'And you've both of you made your fortunes, in perspective.' "'That's the worst of it,' returned Dick. "'These fortunes, in perspective, look such a long way off.' "'But they look smaller than they really are on that account,' said Quilp, pressing his arm. "'You'll have no conception of the value of your price until you draw close to it. Mark that.' "'Do you think not?' said Dick. "Ay, I do. And I'm certain of what I say that's better,' returned the dwarf. "'You bring Trent to me. Tell him I am his friend and yours. Why shouldn't I be?' "'There's no reason why you shouldn't, certainly,' replied Dick." and perhaps there are a great many why you should at least there would be nothing strange in your wanting to be my friend if you were a choice spirit but then you know you're not a choice spirit i not a choice spirit cried quilp devil a bit sir returned dick a man of your appearance couldn't be if you're any spirit at all sir you're an evil spirit choice spirits added dick smiting himself on the breast are quite a different-looking sort of people you may take your oath of that sir Quilp glanced at his free-spoken friend with a mingled expression of cunning and dislike, and wringing his hand almost at the same moment, declared that he was an uncommon character and had his warmest esteem. With that they parted, Mr. Swiveller to make the best of his way home and sleep himself sober, and Quilp to cogitate upon the discovery he had made, and exult in the prospect of the rich field of enjoyment and reprisal it opened to him. It was not without great reluctance and misgiving that Mr. Swiveller, next morning, his head racked by the fumes of the renowned Skidam, repaired to the lodging of his friend Trent, which was in the roof of an old house in an old ghostly inn, and recounted by very slow degrees what had yesterday taken place between him and Quilp. Nor was it without great surprise and much speculation on Quilp's probable motive, not without many bitter comments on Dick Swiveller's folly, that his friend received the tale. "'I don't defend myself, Fred,' said the penitent Richard. "'But the fellow has such a queer way with him, and is such an artful dog, that first of all he set me upon thinking whether there was any harm in telling him, and while I was thinking screwed it out of me. If you had seen him drink and smoke as I did, you couldn't have kept anything from him. He's a salamander, you know that's what he is.' Without inquiring whether salamanders were of necessity good confidential agents, or whether a fire-proof man was, as a matter of course, trustworthy, Frederick Trent threw himself into a chair, and, burying his head in his hands, endeavoured to fathom the motives which had led Quilp to insinuate himself into Richard Suverer's confidence, for that the disclosure was of his seeking, and had not been spontaneously revealed by Dick, was sufficiently plain from Quilp's seeking his company and enticing him away. The dwarf had twice encountered him when he was endeavouring to obtain intelligent fugitives. This, perhaps, as he had not shown any previous anxiety about them, was enough to awaken suspicion in the breast of a creature so jealous and distrustful by nature, setting aside any additional impulse to curiosity he might have derived from Dick's incautious manner. But knowing the scheme they had planned, why shouldn't he offer to assist it? This was a question more difficult of solution. But as knaves generally overreach themselves by imputing their own designs to others, the idea immediately presented itself that some circumstances of irritation between Quilp and the old man, rising out of their secret transactions, and not unconnected perhaps with his sudden disappearance, now rendered the former desirous of revenging himself upon him by seeking to entrap the sole object of his love and anxiety into a connection of which he knew he had a dread and hatred as frederick trent himself utterly regardless of his sister had this object at heart only second to the hope of gain it seemed to him the more likely to be quilp's main principle of action once investing the dwarf with a design of his own in abetting them which the attainment of their purpose would serve it was easy to believe him sincere and hearty in the cause and as there could be no doubt of his proving a powerful and useful auxiliary trent determined to accept his invitation and go to his house that night and if what he said and did confirmed him in the impression he had formed to let him share the labour of their plan but not the profit having resolved these things in his mind and arrived at this conclusion he communicated to mr swiveller as much of his meditations as he thought proper dick would have been perfectly satisfied with less and giving him the day to recover himself from his late salamandering, accompanied him at evening to Mr. Quilp's house. Mighty glad Mr. Quilp was to see them, or mightily glad he seemed to be, and fearfully polite Mr. Quilp was to Mrs. Quilp and Mrs. Ginowin, and very sharp was the look he cast on his wife to observe how she was affected by the recognition of young Trent, mrs quilp was as innocent as her own mother of any emotion painful or pleasant which the sight of him awakened but as her husband's glance made her timid and confused and uncertain what to do or what was required of her mr quilp did not fail to assign her embarrassment to the cause he had in his mind and while he chuckled at his penetration was secretly exasperated by his jealousy nothing of this appeared however on the contrary Mr. Quilp was all blandness and suavity, and presided over the case-bottle of rum with extraordinary open-heartedness. "'Why, let me see,' said Quilp. "'It must be a matter of nearly two years since we were first acquainted. "'Nearer three, I think,' said Trent. "'Nearer three,' cried Quilp. "'How fast time flies! "'Does it seem as long as that to you, Mrs. Quilp?' "'Yes, I think it seems full three years, Quilp,' was the unfortunate reply. "'Oh, indeed, ma'am,' thought Quilp. "'You have been pining, have you? Very good, ma'am. "'It seems to me but yesterday that you went out to Demerara in the Mary Anne,' said Quilp. "'But yesterday, I declare, well, I like a little wildness. I was wild myself once.' Mr. Quilp accompanied this admission with such an awful wink indicative of old rovings and backslidings, that Mrs. Genowyn was indignant, and could not forbear from remarking under her breath that he might at least put off his confessions until his wife was absent, for which act of boldness and insubordination, Mr. Quilp first stared her out of countenance, and then drank her health ceremoniously. "'I thought you'd come back directly, Fred. I always thought that.' said Quilp, setting down his glass. "'And when the Marianne returned with you on board, instead of a letter to say what a contrite heart you had, and how happy you were in the situation that had been provided for you, I was amused—exceedingly amused! Ha, ha, (laughs) ha!' The young man smiled, but not as though the theme was the most agreeable one that could have been selected for his entertainment, and for that reason Quilp pursued it i always will say he resumed that when a rich relation having two young people sisters or brothers or brother and sister dependent on him attaches himself exclusively to one and casts off the other he does wrong the young man made a movement of impatience but quilp went on as calmly as if he were discussing some abstract question in which nobody present had the slightest personal interest It's very true, said Quilp, that your grandfather urged repeated forgiveness, ingratitude, riot and extravagance, and all that, but as I told him, these are common faults. But he's a scoundrel, said he, granting that, said I, for the sake of argument, of course, a great many young noblemen and gentlemen are scoundrels too, but he wouldn't be convinced. "'I wonder at that, Mr. Quilp,' said the young man, sarcastically. "'Well, so did I at the time,' returned Quilp. "'But he was always obstinate. "'He was in a manner a friend of mine, but he was always obstinate and wrong-headed. "'Little Nell is a nice girl, a charming girl, but you're her brother, Frederick. "'You're her brother, after all, as you told him the last time you met. "'He can't alter that.' "'He would, if he could, confound him for that and all other kindnesses,' said the young man impatiently. "'But nothing can come of this subject now, and let us have done with it in the devil's name.' "'Agreed,' returned Quilp. "'Agreed on my part readily. Why have I alluded to it? Just to show you, Frederick, that I have always stood your friend. You little knew who was your friend and who your foe now, did you?' You thought I was against you, and so there has been a coolness between us, but it was all on your side, entirely on your side. Let's shake hands again, Fred.' With his head sunk down between his shoulders and a hideous grin overspreading his face, the dwarf stood up and stretched his short arm across the table. After a moment's hesitation, the young man stretched out his to meet it. Quilp clutched his fingers in a grip that for the moment stopped the current of blood within them, and pressing his other hand upon his lip and frowning towards the unsuspicious Richard, released them and sat down. This action was not lost upon Trent, who, knowing that Richard Swiveller was a mere tool in his hands, and knew no more of his design than he thought proper to communicate, saw that the dwarf perfectly understood their relative position, and fully entered into the character of his friend. It is something to be appreciated even in knavery this silent homage to his superior abilities no less than a sense of the power with which the dwarf's quick perception had already invested him inclined the young man towards that ugly worthy and determined him to profit by his aid it being now mr quilp's cue to change the subject with all convenient expedition lest richard swiveller in his heedlessness should reveal anything which it was inexpedient for the women to know He proposed a game at four-handed cribbage, and partners being cut for, Mr. Quilp fell to Frederick Trent, and Dick himself to Quilp. Mrs. Genuyn, being very fond of cards, was carefully excluded by her son-in-law from any participation in the game, and had assigned to her the duty of occasionally replenishing the glasses from the case-bottle. Mr. Quilp from that moment keeping one eye constantly upon her, lest she should by any means procure a taste of the same and thereby tantalising the wretched old lady who was as much attached to the case-bottle as the cards in a double degree and most ingenious manner but it was not to mrs geniwin alone that mr quilp's attention was restricted as several other matters required his constant vigilance Among his various eccentric habits, he had a humorous one of always cheating at cards, which rendered necessary on his part not only a close observance of the game, and a sleight of hand in counting and scoring, but also involved the constant correction, by looks and frowns and kicks under the table, of Richard Swiveller, who, being bewildered by the rapidity with which his cards were told, and the rate at which the pegs travelled down the board, could not be prevented from sometimes expressing his surprise and incredulity. Mrs. Quilp, too, was the partner of young Trent, and for every look that passed between them, and every word they spoke, and every card they played, the dwarf had eyes and ears, not occupied alone with what was passing above the table, but with signals that might be exchanging beneath it, which he laid all kinds of traps to detect besides often treading on his wife's toes to see whether she cried out or remained silent under the infliction in which latter case it would have been quite clear that trent had been treading on her toes before yet in the most of all these distractions the one eye was upon the old lady always And if she so much as stealthily advanced a teaspoon towards a neighbouring glass, which she often did, for the purpose of abstracting but one sup of its sweet contents, Quilp's hand would overset it in the very moment of her triumph, and Quilp's mocking voice implore her to regard her precious health. And in any one of these his many cares, from first to last, Quilp never flagged nor faltered at length when they had played a great many rubbers and drawn pretty freely upon the case-bottle mr quilp warned his lady to retire to rest and that submissive wife complying and being followed by her indignant mother mr swiveller fell asleep the dwarf beckoning his remaining companion to the other end of the room held a short conference with him in whispers it's as well not to say more than one can help before our worthy friend said quilp making a grimace towards the slumbering dick is it a bargain between us fred shall he marry little rosy nell by and by you shall have some end of your own to answer of course returned the other of course i have dear fred said quilp grinning to think how little he suspected what the real end was it's retaliation perhaps perhaps whim i have influence fred to help or oppose which way shall i use it there are a pair of scales and it goes into one "'Throw it into mine, then,' said Trent. "'It's done, Fred,' rejoined Quilp, stretching out his clenched hand and opening it as if he had let some weight fall out. "'It's in the scale from this time and turns it, Fred. Mind that.' "'Where have they gone?' asked Trent. Quilp shook his head, and said that point remained to be discovered, which it might be easily. When it was, they would begin their preliminary advances.' he would visit the old man or even richard swiveller might visit him and by affecting a deep concern in his behalf and imploring him to settle in some worthy home led to the child's remembering him with gratitude and favour once impressed to this extent it would be easy he said to win her in a year or two for she supposed the old man to be poor as it was part of his jealous policy in common with many other misers to feign to be so to those about him "'He has it often enough to me of late,' said Trent. "'Oh, and to me, too,' replied the dwarf. "'Which is most extraordinary, as I know how rich he really is.' "'I suppose you should,' said Trent. "'I think I should indeed,' rejoined the dwarf. And in that, at least, he spoke the truth. After a few more whispered words, they returned to the table, and the young man rousing Richard Swiveller informed him that he was waiting to depart this was welcome news to dick who started up directly after a few words of confidence in the result of their project had been exchanged they bade the grinning quilp good-night quilp crept to the window as they passed in the street below and listened trent was pronouncing an acumium upon his wife and they were both wondering by what enchantment she had been brought to marry such a misshapen wretch as he the dwarf after watching their retreating shadows with a wider grin than his face had yet displayed stole softly in the dark to bed in this hatching of their scheme neither trent nor quilp had had one thought about the happiness or misery of poor innocent nell it would have been strange if the careless profligate who was the butt of both had been harassed by any such consideration for his high opinion of his own merits and deserts rendered the project rather a laudable one than otherwise and if he had been visited by so unwonted a guest as reflection he would being a brute only in the gratification of his appetites had soothed his conscience with the plea that he did not mean to beat or kill his wife and would therefore, after all said and done, be a very tolerable, average husband. End of chapter 23